Welcome to Kimecast, where we break through and cut the BS in sports medicine, rehabilitation, and sports performance, and talk about how things really work. All right, welcome to Kimecast. I'm Tony Mikla, Evan Hauger, and we're here with Bomber. I'm super excited to have you, my man. Yeah, I'm excited too. I like, I love doing this stuff, and I'm glad you guys invited me. Yeah, no, absolutely. So Bomber's one of the lead coaches at Sac City. He's been there for, for quite a while, and in our opinion, one of the real brains behind so much of the development there. His, his ability and, and commitment to, to baseball is, is super intriguing, and the commitment to information, whether that be technology or player development or really how to do it, do it better and help athletes produce to their potential. And obviously we've seen that with Sac City over the years, especially in your time there, how many guys have made it not just to the next level of college or the next level of the minor leagues, but to the big leagues, which is, which is a testament to it. So it's pretty cool. So we'll hear more about that. Yeah, for sure. For me tonight. So, but everyone gonna have a beer here first. What do we got? Yes, beer time first. We're doing Pliny the Elder tonight from Russian River Brewing Company. Special for Bomber, but apparently he has the younger at home. I so do. He's having more fun. I do. It's <laughs> it's on deck. <laughs> that's after this, right? No, you no. That's like a you got to split those. It's like twelve percent. You don't want to. <laughs> that's dense. You don't want to choke that down by nah. yourself. <laughs> Although the other three I did. <laughs> Sorry. I guess I. I'm guilty of that. Yeah, you make it happen. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think that I think this this starts nicely, and all that stuff that Tony said, we can lead into really well with you kind of giving your story, your background here, because I think it's a pretty unique story. And like a little background on where this comes from is, I talked to three of your current players and two of your former players today alone in our facility in Sacramento, and they all, I asked them what what should I have Bomber talk about on the podcast, and they said this is the story he has to tell. <laughs> So now you're on the spot. <laughs> All right. So um, I'm from Sacramento. I moved away to go to graduate school and got my master's degree. And like, you know, most young coaches, I just thought jobs would fall into my lap. Didn't really work that way. And so uh, Andy McKay was an assistant coach at the time. And he said, hey, if you're going to be broke, you should just come home and be broke. And, you know, we'll find some classes for you to teach. And so that's kind of how I got at into Sac City um, and what he had told me kind of the, the the bait was that some things are going to be changing around here there'll be some more opportunities for you and what I didn't realize I didn't know at the time was that that meant that Jerry Weinstein was leaving which was like mm -hmm. this huge shock to everybody um, but you know once the shock wore off and uh, that gave me more responsibility and I was really, really lucky for a long time to have a bunch of really, really good players. And looking back on it, and this, I'm sure this is part of the story, uh, looking back on it, having those really good players hid a lot of my deficiencies. Like, I didn't have to do really anything. I had to make sure they got on the bus at the right time, <coughs> make sure they're going to class kind of. Uh -huh. Uh, that was about it. Like I, I didn't have to be that good of a coach <clears throat> to look like I knew what I was doing. We just had better players than everybody. And so this went on, I don't know, 10, 11 years, you know, and then um, when it started to shift was probably after the 2006 season, 2007, somewhere in there. Um, Delta College started getting better. Sierra College was getting better. Mm -hmm. uh, Kasumas was getting better. 
And so now the players were spreading out. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, we are starting to lose players that were going to the Bay Area to go to school. And so we went from having everybody we wanted to having to scratch and claw to get, you know, some some guys. And so that kind of changed everything. Um, now, the problem was that I was slow to change. And I continued to do the things that I had always done. We had really good players. And all of a sudden, looking around, you go, well, these players all suck now, <laughs> and they suck. You know, I, I didn't know why, to be honest. And, and I, I think at the time I was just like, well, the players are soft. They're not as good. Uh, they don't work as hard. Like I made every possible excuse. But the one thing I couldn't admit is like, there's no way it could be me. <laughs> like, there's no shot in the hell that that's the case. There's no way. Uh-huh. And so I'll never, and I, I might tear up telling the story because it means so much to me. But Andy McKay was the head coach. He calls in the office, which was normal. But, you know, wasn't a big deal. Yeah. And he said, hey, yep. sit down. Yeah. Like, yeah, well, what's up? He goes, this is going to hurt. I'm like, oh, okay, this is going to be a different conversation. <laughs> he, he looked at me and he goes, you are a shitty, shitty coach. You've allowed yourself to become a shitty coach. You don't care about your players. They don't like you. They don't listen to you. They don't respect you. And I was just like, I was floored. I had, was not remotely close to being prepared for that. <clears throat> And like most people in that situation, I got really defensive. Mm-hmm. Um, I made, again, I made a ton of excuses. Um, you know, I didn't talk to him for like three or four days after. But eventually I started to think about, like, him and I are really good friends still to this day. I, I consider him one of my best friends in the world. And I kind of took a step back and said, okay, one of my best friends in the world just told me to my face that I suck. I know he cares for me. There has to be something there. And so I like, you know, I went to like, all right, what do I need to do? And he's like, you need to be invested in the players. You need to actually care about them. You need to know about them when they're not being baseball players and what they're like. You need to work for them. They don't work for you. And it was just like, it was this switch. and everything changed. Now it didn't like the results didn't change immediately, obviously, because that took more time. But I changed, and I changed how I went about doing things. And then all of a sudden, like we started to see better results because I was invested in the players instead of it being a transactional thing where I'll do this, then you go win. It was okay. I'm invested in you because. I want to see you be good, not because I need you to be good to make me look good. I just want you to be good. And I don't care if I get any credit. I want you to have the credit. Uh, and so that, that, that conversation like changed everything about how I coach. And then there's, there's one other time where like I have a, not as big of a shift, but like as kind of an eye opening moment was, this was th- three, three years ago. Um, we had a player commit suicide, and we're at the funeral, and I'm a mess. Like I'm just devastated. And a player came by, uh, Ben Purcell, and 
he grabbed me, he hugged me, he said, I love you, and we're going to get through this. And I was like, if he can do that in this moment, right now, in the worst possible circumstance, uh, then I can do it and I can help them. And so <clears throat> that was the first year that I actually started to tell players that I loved them. And I, I do it all the time now, but it was because of him that I did that. And it's just kind of become this thing. And like initially the guys are kind of looking at like, did he, did he just say, told me to love me? <laughs> and, you know, I don't, that's not like, well, yeah, of course it did. It's just like I do it and go away. And then over time, you you start to make some progress and it starts to get reciprocated mm -hmm. and you start to get it back. And I don't do it for that reason, but I do want them to know that I really do care for them and I really do love them. It's not some eyewash shit that I just made up to, sure. to make them feel good because yeah. it's, it's weird. It's awkward more mm -hmm. than anything else. But it also is the truth and I, I, there's no way I could have done that 15 years ago. Like, there's no shot. It, yeah. it would have never even occurred to me right. to think about. It. Yeah. So. yeah, and this is an amazing story because it's like what, this, what you come into here is basically like leadership 101 of like management 101 of you work for your employees or you work for your team. You're yeah. here to serve them. Um, yeah, that's amazing. And that, the, the, they, the, the guys always tell me about the I love you thing they do. I get this story from them, not from you usually, so it's powerful coming from you, but I hear it from them. And they, they do always say that it's a little weird at first, but they always say that it, you guys feel like a family at some point. So I think that's that's super cool. Yeah, I mean, I still have guys, you know, that will just send me a text about something, Father's Day, Christmas, and it always ends with, I love you. Um, and it's, to me, that's like, that's, that's why you coach. I mean, that's like winning is awesome. It's great. I love to win. And, uh, and you've had impacts on these kids that sustain a long period of time. So Nolan Cassidy, who, who works for us now, he told me a story today, so I'm going to repeat it here. But, so, so he remembers he remembers you as a coach, kind of in that middle phase of things, probably mm -hmm. where before things had kind of like before things had fully clicked, or maybe right around the time. Yeah, when he they probably were wasn't there at the greatest time. <laughs> but but he's but he still like respected you as a person and loved you as a person because the story he told me today was three years ago when he when he started working with us. He he'd talked to Tony and he'd kind of interviewed with all of us and, and chatted a little bit. He's like, okay, this all sounds really cool, but how do I figure out if this is bullshit or not? How do I figure out if these guys are for real? And he said, who do I call? I'm gonna call Bomber. So you were his first person he decided to call <laughs> to, to vet us and figure out if we, were, if we were legit and whether he wanted to come work with us. Well, I'm glad he trusted me. Yes. That's, that's important. That's the key. I think that's, <laughs> yeah. what, I think that's what you're talking about here, though, is you're creating trust with these guys. That's, I think that's the biggest thing. I didn't know you could recruit for us, too, Bomber. Yeah. This is hey, whatever you need. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you're a powerful recruiter. Yeah, just Honestly, uh, tell, me, tell, me what, tell me what you guys Yeah, mean. this is fantastic. Now we, got some, now we got something going here. He's got a pitcher right now who's going to be an orthopedic surgeon someday. Yeah. Absolutely. You gotta have those guys. Yeah, whatever. You city. never know when you might need like a Tommy John discount. <laughs> <laughs> That's the beauty of having players who do cool stuff. It's like, what, where else can I get a discount? You don't want the discount on that surgery. You <laughs> yeah. want to pay the premium. I think you want the real deal there. Yeah. <laughs> and you only got a few options in the world. So, but you want that one done one time and done right. Doing it at my house is probably a bad idea. <laughs> That's well, one of the pretty ones. automatic with it. So I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it is. It is getting awesome. That's for sure. So cool. So as you as you've developed as a coach, and I know your interest is so heavily in, in player development and and really helping them. We've talked about many conversations over the last several years about about things that you do and simple things you do. I know I was always 
moved when we were talking about this idea of, of how you organize a practice or maybe to some degree their off-season program or their summer program or, or their anything they're doing in prep for the season, where it may have been in the past or at one time in coaching it was, hey, everyone's going to do this workout and you're going to do these things and this is exactly how you're going to do it and then we're going to, you know, we're going to throw long toss on Monday and we're going to do bands on Tuesday and we're going to do whatever we're going to do on Wednesday and we're going to pitch on Friday, do bullpens, whatever. And we were talking about it and you're mentioning we've kind of gone to this idea of you're going to pitch on Friday. These are the things that yeah. should be in your yeah. repertoire. Like you can choose some options. But your responsibility is to show up on the mound on Friday. Yeah. And you can you let me know if you want yeah. help to how to get there. Yeah. But otherwise, good luck to you. I'll see you on the mound. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I so this is the example I, I use. And it, it's kind of corny, but <clears throat> like the player is in a car and he's driving somewhere and he has somewhere he wants to get. It's Division One. It's professional baseball. I think bad coaches try to be the GPS. Like, they're do this on this day for this long, this many reps. Like, it, it, I don't know how many guys have to go through this cookie-cutter approach before coaches finally go, man, that shit doesn't work. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it doesn't. It's like you guys, you, you can't put someone on the exact same treatment program and expect to get the exact same result that – the guy before did it just doesn't work that way the right. human body doesn't work that way it's too dynamic of a system to just go all right we're all going to do the same thing and we should all get the same results it just doesn't work so going back to my my car example i'm there to be the guardrails like they're driving they're in charge they're the gps the gps takes them astray i'm there to knock them back in line yeah and i think that's what you do now with that being said you can't throw them in the car if they don't know how to drive. Like there has to be uh, a learning curve, right? You have to prepare them to do that. Like day one, we're not going, hey, just figure it out on your own, and then we'll see you when the season starts. Right. It's, right. No, there's a buildup to that. And, you know, if you come to a practice in the fall, our sophomores are probably doing something that's completely different than the freshmen. And then within that sophomore group, there's probably three or four groups in there who are doing something different than the other guys in that group. But if you, again, it's, it really comes down to how much energy are you willing to invest in your players? Because if they're all doing different things, that's hard. Right. It yeah. wears you out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you just go, all right, guys, there's 15 of you. Here's the program. Go. It's yeah. easy to monitor. It's easy to manage no one gets any better right well i take that back if there's 15 guys three of them will see like real right. improvement there's three guys it, right? three guys will suck completely and that middle group is just kind of on their own to figure it out you yep. figure something out yep. and so we see that across the board in coaching whether it be in the weight room performance no yeah 15 no guys three do amazing three are terrible and the middle is kind of out where the middle was right. and i think what there two i think there's a couple factors I think one, there's just there's a there's a bit of arrogance that you see in coaches where it's well they should be doing what I tell them to do because I'm the coach mm. or because I did it when I played. Let, don't don't even whatever. get that. Yeah. That's on that the other <laughs> section we're gonna have later. <laughs> Thank God. Yes. Um, but I think there's a bit of arrogance to it. It's like, well, this is my program. Yeah. It worked for this guy. 
Well, what about the other 14 guys that didn't work for? Um, I think there's a there's a piece of it that's really really lazy. I think that's as big of anything. It's just lazy. It's intellectually lazy. It's just like it, you're not like technically, I guess, rolling the balls out, but you might as well be because that's what it turns into. And the contrast in my head has been that it's it's you run it kind of like a pro program, right? So you, you look you look at a professional team, and you're going to see you look at a pitching staff, you're going to see five completely yeah. different deliveries. You look at a batting order, you're going to see nine completely different stances, loads. Everything's going to look different. You go watch like, and you know, I haven't watched college baseball as much recently, but if I would go watch like University of Arizona ten years ago. I'm not knocking Good your alma mater here, but they, they always hit well. But they all swing the same, or they used to all swing the same. In one through nine, it would look very, mm -hmm. very similar. And so, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. That cookie cutter thing just doesn't really work. No, and I, you know, I think the other part, and this, this was a, a challenge for me, is I think you, you, you have to be able to let go of some of the control. And I think coaches and, and just in general were kind of control freaks. That kind of leads us into the profession. Right. But I think a, a good coach has to be willing at some point to go, I've kind of done my part here. This is now your deal. And that's a conversation that we have all the time in our program. Is like, this is your career. I'm here to help you navigate through it but if you don't want to do the things that I think are important well that's your bad um, if you find a better way great let's do that mm -hmm. if you think that what you found is going to work then let's give it a shot and we might find out you know five weeks from now that you were wrong but that's fine I've been wrong hundreds of times right. so it's okay to be wrong but if you aren't willing to kind of let go a little bit, you know, you're, you're going to limit what guys are willing and able to do. Like Jerry Weinstein has the greatest line ever. My job is to eliminate my job. Like that's the sign of if, if your players need you, you know, two years down the road, you did a terrible job of coaching them. Now, it doesn't mean they can't call you and say, hey, I got kind of struggling with this thing. Well, you know, what did we do before to kind of get me over the hump? Like, oh, okay, we did X, Y, and Z. Why don't you try those things? Um, but if they can't like go away and navigate the rest of their career without you, you didn't do a very good job, in in my opinion. That I mean, that's just working with people. That has tremendous parallels to what we do every day, working yeah. with clients and then working with employees. I mean, it's the same thing. It's yeah. the exact same thing. You've got to be like their guide through the process. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and I think. I think for the players too, it, it takes there's an adjustment period because they're not used to that. Mm -hmm. right. You know, their high school coach probably dictated everything that they did, and they don't know that you know there's some there's some freedom, and you know we we let them know like if you if you're lucky enough to play professional baseball, you better be able to coach yourself because like your minor league pitching coach is not going to be following you around trying to help you out all the time you're going to have you know six or seven months off away from your team every year you and better have something to do yeah and your interests are not always in line with the team's interests oh no so not, what they're not, trying to make yeah, you do not is even, not necessarily what's best for you all the time yeah so that's yeah. that's a that's a really important concept uh, it, it really at every level yeah but 
you know, you you want to prepare guys and you want to let them know like you have to be invested in yourself and you have to be willing and it does it can be really uncomfortable and it probably doesn't always work out but you have to be willing to tell a coach like I don't think that's going to work for me and you might be wrong like and that's the other part but he might be wrong too and I think kids are I th- I think in general try to be respectful and they have you know someone who's 20 years older than them telling them that they should be doing these things they're going to do them even if they don't feel like they should and they don't want to get labeled as uncoachable they don't want to be that guy you're exactly that's, right that's a horrible label looking at like no doubt process or no draft doubt. process that's not a good look for and, for and I think it, it takes a a special individual who can kind of look at you and go, that shit's not going to work. That shit's stupid. Right. We're not. I'm not doing that. Right. I'm crazy. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, that you just. I think there comes a point in every player's career where they have to be their own best advocate. Now, they should also know what they're talking about too. Yeah. There are guys who are just like, I'm not doing that because I just don't want to. Like that. That's not any good. Right. But if you say like, I don't think that's best for me. But what if I did it this way? I think you can actually make some progress, and I think people will listen. And with an open-minded coach, yeah, you can have a you can have a reasonable sure. conversation about that. So, okay, so you said that individual programs, creating this individual program for each person. How do, how do we do that? I mean, it, it has to start with an assessment, right? Yeah. So, I mean, everything starts with who are you right this second, mm-hmm. and who do you want to be, and then start filling in the blanks. Yeah. Point A and point B, and yeah. then how do we like fill in the map? Yeah. You know, I'll give you an example. Because you know him, you know Ryan Costu his freshman year. Like, yeah. I want to pitch in the SEC. Like, okay, well you throw eighty five right now, so well there is some work to be done here. <laughs> uh, but he knew what he wanted to do. He was willing to do the work, and it was okay. You want to. This is the type of pitcher you're going to have to be to achieve that. So, you know, there's there's kind of a. a barrier to entry of velocity you can't you're not going to go pitch in the sec at 86 mm-hmm. right. it's just not going to happen particularly right-handed <laughs> yeah at 510 or 511 yeah, right. you can't have a mediocre breaking ball yeah um obviously school's got to be part of the deal because you might slide in academically and and get academic money but these are all things that that you're going to have to be able to do and you know it was it was a a year and a half process before he got to the point where he was good enough to like legitimately think it was a, a real thing mm-hmm. um, and it worked out perfectly um, but yeah you have to kind of look at you know where they are where the, you know the f- obviously like a physical assessment like how do they move are they strong um, where can they make the biggest improvements the quickest like the training economy where can we the lowest hanging fruit exactly what is like you know if Kids six two and one hundred and seventy pounds will stop throwing and go squat or deadlift more. Yeah, there's just some things that are so obvious yeah. that need to be addressed immediately. Mm-hmm. Then you just dive right into that, and then you can start checking things off the bot. You know, check them off the list. Okay, well, you can now squat. You know, one and a half times your body weight. Hmm. Not great, but probably good enough to do what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And then, we, then you start looking into the actual baseball part of it. Like, what does your stuff look like? What do you have that's 
any good whatsoever. And, <laughs> you know, let's identify what it is you're good at and double down on that because that's going to be your ticket. And the stuff you're not so good at, yeah, you need to improve it, but you can't, you can't sacrifice the good stuff to make the bad stuff average because then you're just yeah. average and yeah. how does it play and so i think there's a lot there's a lot less guesswork in in what you're saying here than than maybe what it sounds like right yeah so, so some tech to put yeah you know we we have a pitch tracking technology it's called the rapsodo it is it was probably one of the most important advancements in pitcher development ever i know that's kind of a bold statement but for what it did um i mean it was pretty groundbreaking um you know and when i first heard of it it was probably like i don't know 2014 2015 and i kept hearing i was at some conference and the guys were talking about rap soto rap soto i'm like oh, what the hell is that so i just while i'm listening i just googled it and I'm like oh that, okay that sounds kind of cool and so i did a bunch of research i talked to more people about it <coughs> and educated myself about how you could use it the benefits of using it um the applications once you started to use it and it's just like this is a no-brainer we have to make this happen and so uh, <coughs> I got on the phone and I called some alumni and said hey I need three thousand dollars a little fundraising <laughs> I did <laughs> I need three thousand dollars um, what do you got <laughs> and within, your turn go <laughs> within just a week be quiet after that and wait and see what they say within a week um, I had it and we haven't looked back since. I mean, it's just, it, so for years, like we watch a pitch, go, oh, that's a good pitch. You know, well, how do you know? Well, it looked like it. Well, yeah. So that's, uh, that's a guess. That's what right. that is. That's just a random yeah. guess. So yeah. in my mind, it's like the, like I always think of, what's his, what was his name? A really tall, Chris Young. Remember that guy, mm -hmm. Chris Young? Yeah. So I was, I, I coached always, him actually. Did you actually? Yeah. Uh, that was, I didn't do that intentionally. <laughs> oh, well, okay. So I always think of him because I think, okay, why could he throw an 88-mile-an-hour fastball that was constantly blowing by people? Yeah. Right, like constantly missing. And I was, and everybody, the announcers would always say, oh, he's 6'10", he's just releasing it that much closer. I'm like, well, that dude's 6'8", and he's throwing 96, and they just, yeah. they're not missing it the same way. So in my mind, it's the explanation of, of that. For sure. There's no, when I look, so when I started figuring out the Rapsodo and, and what was good and what to look for and what numbers were important, it really started to explain. I started to look backwards. And it started to mm -hmm. explain why certain guys were able to do certain things on the mound, and you're kind of looking at it going, there's just no way that should be working. Mm -hmm. Like, you're just intuitively, you're going, that, that, that shouldn't work. Shouldn't, you shouldn't be able to throw 86 belt high and just blow people away. But I've watched this, you know, Watched him do it for two years, and he's still doing it. Like, I just don't understand. Um, and you see other guys, like, you know, 94, doing the same thing. It's just getting hammered. Right. And so the Rapsodo really kind of cleared all that up because now it's telling you, like, well, yeah, it's 86, but it has elite spin. Mm -hmm. um, it's super efficient. It stays up longer. Sorry, it doesn't rise, like, you know, the old it sure looks like thinking, it sometimes. It does. Yeah, it looks like the thing's <laughs> popping at you. And it's just, you know, it's just because your eye is yeah. so attuned to a certain level of mm -hmm. sync. And gravity, gravity always wins. But mm -hmm. when you have an average amount of spin, 
you get an average amount of pull back down to earth mm -hmm. i guess for you know but when we have a lot of spin or spin that is really helpful the more efficient spin it fights gravity better that's really all that's happening so you know if you're used to the pitch being you know a normal pitch being belt high and you have someone back it up with that has higher spin efficient spin the pitch is going to finish three or four three to five inches higher than what you're expecting mm -hmm. you just swung and missed like mm -hmm. and the, as a hitter you, you like your eyes can't figure that out you don't know yeah the only way you'd know is if you're getting like track man reports or whatever into That's the dugout yeah. mm -hmm. um so what we were able to do with with the rap soto is we were really able to figure out and identify what guys are really good at not guessing um you know and the internet has been a huge resource really because you can find um every big league pitcher's pitch metrics and you can start comparing right like okay well such and such has this pitch you're trying to throw that pitch this is what his numbers look like this is where your numbers are we need to start working towards these numbers now you may not get there but if you want that type of pitch those are the type of numbers that you need to put up on the Rapsodo. Um, but I think you also have to be careful. Like, you can fall in love with Rapsodo numbers. Mm -hmm. You can become enamored with certain pitches. Like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. What? And if it's not in the strike zone, it doesn't matter. Right. And, and so the, the ability to get the ball in the strike zone is still really important. But now we have... A, better understanding of what you should be trying to get into the strike zone right. as opposed to well I, I like to throw these pitches well they all suck let's yeah. find something that's right. different yeah <laughs> yes yeah and that was the when we first got it that was as good as i was at dealing with the rap soto yeah it was like looking at it and going i know that that sucks and i know that that's good I, I remember, do I remember when you first got it. You would, I came over and I, I said, oh, what on. is this cool thing? And you were like, yeah, I don't know, but I know that's not good. And yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> and so that, that was the, the, the extent of coaching with it at the time. It's like you know, telling Ben Purcell, like, yeah. you throw these pitches all the time, and they're awful. <laughs> Look, they're just terrible. Right. They don't do anything. Mm -hmm. Let's throw something else. Let's just do something different. What's the worst that could happen? And all of a sudden, like, he changed. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't getting hit, and he was throwing more strikes. And he went from being, a, you know, mediocre kind of reliever as a freshman to our number one starter as a sophomore, without learning a new pitch. Didn't really throw any harder. He just took the pitches that functioned better and threw them more often. And in the place where they're going to play better. And so the funny thing about it, so Ben, when uh, he was going his going away party before he left to go to Reno, where we. That conversation came out like, remember when I told you how bad you sucked and <laughs> changed you with the rap soto? He's like, yeah, I gotta be honest. Like, I never believed any of that shit. <laughs> like, like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, I didn't. I didn't want to believe it. I said, well, do you believe it now? He goes, oh yeah, yeah I, I believe it now. <laughs> okay, well, at least funny. we got you over the hump eventually. That's pretty funny. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. That's awesome. That's good coaching right there. So, yeah, <laughs> it's great coaching right yeah. there. This sucks. This is good. It still did it for you, though. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to get fancy. You know, the truth works sometimes. <laughs> not hopefully, always. Hopefully more times sometimes. than not. Hopefully more times than not. Not yeah. always. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little hurtful. But 
Yeah. That's what's cool about technology. It definitely, definitely seems to bring bring the truth out, right? And you really can start to look at some data and say, that you know, am I is what I think happening actually actually happening, right? Yeah, and you can you know, we have used it to to change the pitches that guys throw, um, actually change pitches, um, invent new pitches for them, or not necessarily mm -hmm. not a new pitch uh, in, in that sense, but a new pitch to them. Yeah. Um, it's just based on what the thing is telling you. Yeah. Um, what things are good at, if they're good at getting spin yeah. rate in yeah, so a certain yeah, direction, you can... Fastball might be better. Uh, right. Down. You might not want to throw that down because it's going to end up right where somebody yeah, wants so to So then that's it. what you, you start as you're going through. And <laughs> the first question you always get, I'd say almost 100% of the time, the first time someone throws on a Rapsodo, the first question is always, what's good? Like, well, none of it. None of it's good and none of it's bad. It's just information. Yes, there yep. you go. Like, yep. If you have no spin whatsoever on your fastball, that's elite because it's going to bottom out sinker. Yeah. It'll be mm -hmm. awesome. Mm -hmm. If you have a ton of spin, that's going to be awesome. It's going to just like look like it's going to hop on its way to home plate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? So any of those things are good. Our job as the coach is to go, all right, this is what we're seeing. This is our path based off of this like and you just try to find something in there <coughs> that is different yeah it's unique for for whatever reason it spends a lot doesn't spend enough and then you base everything else off of that you build the arsenal around whatever you identify as being their best bet mm -hmm. um, and that might mean you have to completely scrap everything else sometimes not always um, but, you know, again, it's, it's not coming up with a traditional fastball curveball changeup because that's what everyone else does. It's like, okay, well, you are really good at this and this. And you really what you're trying to do is find a group that actually fits together. Like, that's the hard part. Like you mentioned the high fastball, right? If you have a high fastball, then you need to have a, another pitch that goes the other way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you're throwing this high fastball that's going to play up here, but you have a slider, which is going to be on a flatter plane, mm -hmm. like they just don't go very well work, right. together. Mm -hmm. They're not going to stay together very long. You need something with some depth for that. So yeah, so you know, like like the pitching ninja is great for this because he puts those overlays together, mm -hmm. and it's like, yep, they're together forever, 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 and all of a sudden they're then like it whammo. It's yeah, like they just disappear. Yeah, yeah. and so. If you have any sort of cell phone savvy, you can do that at your local high school or JC with a, a, a phone and an app, and you yeah. can do that. Um, and so it's just, I think the, the Rapsodo has really, sp one, it's sped up the learning curve for new pitches. It's made it so guys were better prepared to attack hitters because now they understand who they really are and I really that's probably the most important aspect of being a pitcher or any player is really right. understanding who your real self is mm -hmm. absolutely um, but the other thing too that kind of just like a sidebar to all of that when you're standing up there and you look down and you get the signal from the catcher and you know because you have all this information like hundreds of pitches that have been tracked you know that that pitch you're getting ready to throw is your best pitch mm -hmm. that that's that's a game changer mentally it's yeah. like you're not going 
I don't, I don't know what's going to happen here. Yeah. Rinse, <laughs> I'm not rinse, really sure. Rinse. Yeah, you're more confident in what's no going up. No question. You know your you're going, plays, you this, your, this your is my jam right here. Yeah. I can't wait to throw this pitch yeah. mm-hmm. as opposed to not knowing. And even if it's not that great of a pitch, if the guy knows it's his, still his best pitch, it changes things. Totally. That leads into another piece that I know you do a ton of at City, which is you, you do mental game talks at least weekly. I think it's weekly still with the, with the guys. Yeah, so right now we're, we're only doing them once a week. Um, during the, uh, a regular season, it's a daily thing in mm-hmm. some capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like one big one early in the week and then smaller ones leading out through the week based on whatever we did and the one big one. So that was like the main topic. And then we um, just address different pieces of that mm-hmm. uh, throughout the course of the week. Uh, every morning... Um, and even through all of this, every morning they get something from me that goes to their cell phone. Um, and it can be a quote, it can be a video, it, it can be any number of things. But um, Do you have that stuff like stock and you know what to pull out when, or do you just get inspired? Uh, and all of that. You I know, mean, like, you know, we'll kind of go in. So, like, the theme kind of this week has been um, if you want to be elite at something, you don't get to be like everybody else. You don't get to fit in. You don't get to go to the party. You don't get to go to the dance. You know, you may not be able to go on vacations mm-hmm. um, because you're going to go hit, or you know, you're going to go see your strength coach, or you know, whatever it is. And so that has been kind of the big theme this week: was what are you going to do to separate yourself from everybody else? Like everyone else has gone through this; they've all been sitting around. What are you going to do? to differentiate yourself from all the other people who want to be want the same things you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, you know, one of the, one of our consistent messages as long as I've been at Sac City has always been <coughs> trying to get every guy to become the best player they're capable of being. Being the, the, the best possible version of themselves because for most guys, that's going to be really, really good. Mm-hmm. Like they, and they don't understand that. They, they want to, they, they want to compare themselves to somebody else, and they want to try to be like that guy instead of being themselves and trying to be the best version of themselves. So, <clears throat> when school started this year, that was kind of the the theme throughout the fall. Like, look, this sucks. We all know it sucks. I said, but here's what I know. At some point, you're going to play baseball again. There's no doubt about it. Now, you can sit on your ass and complain and whine and not do the things you're supposed to. And you will get exposed when you get back on the field. And none of that, none of this quarantine stuff has anything to do with your mission of becoming the best baseball player that you can be. There are still plenty of things that you can do to continue that that mission. Now, you may not play games, but I, and again, I'm sure I'm a weirdo, I believe pretty strongly that baseball games are one of the worst ways to develop baseball skills. They reveal your skills. Mm or lack of skills. You're not developing skills playing a game. Games right. are fun, but 
games are like taking the test to see how well you've studied. Mm -hmm. And if you fail in the game, you need to look at how you prepared yourself for the game and find the flaws in that part of what you do. And sometimes there's no flaw. I mean, we talk about this all the time. Like, like your, your process doesn't have to change because you go 0 for 5 against should have bet out in you know Max Scherzer that just happens like Max Scherzer is going to make a sometimes. lot of guys go 0 for 5 yeah, yeah. if you're going 0 for 5 against everybody then yeah there's probably something in there so that was a big thing that we talked about you know we, we still are um, like as bad as this is you still need to be doing the things you need to do to make yourself the best player that you can be um, and you, you know some guys example. do it and some guys don't but you can only do so much. Yeah, you had an, an example of a kid. I think he was here over the summer, Dodgers kid. Oh, uh, Dennis Santana. Yeah, Dennis. Yeah. And so I, I don't remember the context of you saying this, but you said these guys really have no excuses because when Dennis isn't here, he's throwing a ball at a pole. Yeah. To see if he's. Yeah, he, Dennis sends me videos all the time. Yeah. Um, he doesn't have a catch partner. He's throwing no. a ball at a pole. Uh, so when this was all going on, yeah. he he did a couple things, um, and this goes back even before. Uh, quarantine. He was mm -hmm. doing these things. It just made it easier for him. But mm -hmm. he, he sent me video. He wanted to throw a bullpen. He, he lives in Arizona, but there was nowhere for him to throw. Mm -hmm. He took his couch outside, and he stood it up on its end, and he's chucking baseballs into his couch. His wife's standing off to the side, kicking them back to him, and he's throwing baseballs into his couch. You gotta want it. Like, you <laughs> have to. Want I mean, it, he's right? got. He's he's doing his plyo care work into a, a, a pillar in his backyard that's probably, you know, a foot across. Yeah. And he's thrown his weighted balls into the pillar. And he sends me videos. He's at some park in Arizona, and he's got a, a net, those portable nets set up, and he's throwing a pen in, into a net in a park. Now, this is a guy in the big leagues. Mm -hmm. this, this dude owns a Lamborghini. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Whatever he's it takes. figuring out a way to get it done in the worst possible situation mm -hmm. to get his work in you know he was calling me like he's do you know anyone in arizona that would catch me i, I don't know i call around and we never found anyone and he eventually some guys from the dodgers got down there and they were going off somewhere to do something but uh, <clears throat> here you have a guy who spent you know all of pretty much all of 2020 and i know it's shortened season but um pretty much of the 60 games in the big leagues for 50 of the 60 and he got sent down right at the end and he's throwing balls off a pole because yeah. he needs to get his work That's, in uh, you know yeah. and now you if you look at his numbers right now from this spring training like he has a legitimate chance to make the opening day roster you know on a on potentially a, the best team in baseball no question yeah. and you look you just look at like his whole trajectory right and he's a really interesting case for a lot of reasons. One, he was a shortstop who converted to a pitcher. <clears throat> Not a big money guy at all, $100,000 or something, which, again, to us is a lot of money, but in that world it's not. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, but he was, a, he, he was an example of a guy who was not super willing to be coached right away, mm -hmm. I, I learned. And and so when he came out and we talked, 
and I said, look, I'm gonna, we're going to throw, and I'm going to put you on the Rapsodo. And he's like, oh, man. You're like, what, you don't like the Rapsodo? And he said, you know, Dominican, and like, all right, Poppy. <laughs> <laughs> Rapsodo, Yakertech, Trackman, high-speed video, low-speed video, everything. Like, you know, like, I guess, it's just, it's too much. Okay. So, well, it's going to be on. <laughs> and you don't have to look at it. <laughs> but I'm turning it on. So he's throwing, and all of our guys are around. And it was at, it was over at SSC. Yeah. And our guys are looking at these numbers that are just obscene. How crazy good they are. Yeah. And they're laughing. And so now he starts just kind of looking over at me, and I'm just like trying to ignore him. And they're looking at it, and you know they're just dying because they've never seen numbers like that. Mm -hmm. I, I hadn't either, to be honest. So finally, it comes over, and he's like, "What? What? What?" What's good? Like typical. And I said, well, I'm just going to tell you, like, you have three pitches that no one should really hit. <laughs> so there's that. Start there. <laughs> Start there. Yeah. And so just, and, and I actually, I, I have a friend of mine who works for the Dodgers, and I talked to him about Dennis. And I said, look, I'm, I said, Dennis is making great strides here, and, and you know, he's doing this and this, and, and, you know, like, he was like, well, we, you know, we've tried a lot of that with him. And I said, well, you know, I think it's one of those things where, like, in, in his mind, you guys are the boss. Like, you're your dad. And when dad tells you to do something, it's kind of like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Yeah. But if your uncle tells you to do it, like, you'll do it in a second, right? right. Or, you're, you know, any, yeah. anyone other than your dad. Yeah. Any yeah. other than it's your boss. It's back to the idea of maybe the organ, like, <coughs> Not always trustful of the organization. Uh, no, of, no question. Because of and the that business was, side, and of that was right? kind of and you're kind of where it was. And, him I, in mind. and I was, yeah, I was just some guy who yeah. was looking like, oh, this is kind of cool, and right. and so I think he was able to trust me a little bit more, just because he, I had no vested interest in it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, exactly. I, if he left and went to spring training and sucked. I would have felt bad, but <laughs> I still would have my job. Right. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So I was just trying to help him. Yeah. You know, and that's all it was. It wasn't like, well, I think you have to do X, Y, and Z. It was like, I think these things are really good, and I think we can improve these things. And it was, it it was easy at that point. Yeah. That's yeah. It's pretty. It's pretty cool. I mean, I think. Like you were saying earlier about what what I think what I see in the, in the big leagues is you have these guys that have such they have few pitches now you know I, oh. I think I feel like in the past maybe people had four or five pitches that was kind of a big thing and yeah. outside of the knuckleballer guys with one pitch but yeah. now you have guys like have two pitches maybe a third one but they got two things and like you said they go the tra ball travels together it changes yep. at the end and you can't hit them or if you hit it it's not clean right yeah and I think part of that too is. You have so many specialists now, mm -hmm. and if your job is to get three outs, you don't need. I mean, you got to throw your two best pitches as often as possible. Yeah. And so, even if you have a third pitch, if you throw that pitch and it gets hit, you're gonna have to go in and tell your pitching coach why you just gave up a home run on yeah. your third or fourth best pitch. Right. That's not a comfortable conversation to have. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's that's where and your that's where the business part of that comes into play mm -hmm. right and i think that's where like player development can stall sometimes because we get caught up in we have to win and i think 
and again, I'm, I'm sure I'm the oddball. There's not very many levels where winning is the end-all, be-all. And I, 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 maybe it's not the right thing to say, but I really believe that. I love to win, trust me. When we lose a game, I have to go sit in my office for like an hour before I feel comfortable enough to go home. And I, if my wife is there, I will tell her uh, I, I'll be home at some point. I'm not that's why right winning. Now. That's why winning is so important too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you yeah. lost twenty out of twenty-five, yeah. Yeah. you may not be married. I would just long. sleep in the office. <laughs> but I, I think I, what happens is if we can go, coaches go into this with this idea. I'm going to help all the players. I'm going to make them all better. But then all of a sudden, winning kind of gets in the way. Mm-hmm. And. Because the things that you do if you're truly invested in a player becoming the best version of himself, and again, people are going to cringe, they don't revolve around winning or losing. They really don't. Yes, understanding how to win a game is an important skill. But at our level, if you teach a kid how to win junior college games, when he leaves... He now knows how to win junior college games. He's not playing junior college games anymore. He's now playing minor league games. He's playing Division I games. So those skills that you embedded in him to help you win JC games are no longer very valuable. And so when you can take that away, and again, we have good enough players that will we'll, we'll win enough, when you can take that away, now you can really invest in what the kid needs, what the player actually needs. You know, and I think, I think obviously at the big league level, there there is a there are players that are going to kind of figure some things out, and they're going to develop at the big league level. It doesn't happen very often, but there are guys who are going to do it. But it's either going to be on a you know. There's a couple ways you can do it. Have a really good team, you know, like the Dodgers, and you, you take a guy who's maybe not going to play all the time, but he's young, and you want him to get good, and you pump him in there enough so that he can figure how to, out how to be a big league player. That's one way you can develop in the big leagues. Same thing with a pitcher. Put a guy in situations where he's not going to get killed and protect him and you know, put him in the right spot for him. Yep. And then, you know, you slowly you make those spots a little tougher and tougher and tougher until all of a sudden he's a really good player. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously if you have a team that's just not good, then, yeah, you're going to throw young guys out throw there and let there, them right. try to figure some things Sink out and, and hopefully figure it out. Um, so I think, it, you know, at the big league level, yeah, you, you need to win because if not, you get fired. And I think at the upper levels of Division One baseball, I think – you need to probably try to win too for the same reason, like yeah. so you don't get fired. Yeah, Those right. guys make a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, power five college baseball coach, he probably makes more than most big league managers. He probably makes a million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. So they need and, to win. And if you win, then you get the TV money and everything else right. that goes along with it from a business yeah. standpoint. Yeah, that they, business also no wins. question. Yeah. 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 everything like yeah. the, the, their salaries. They, you know, they might make a million dollars, but half of it comes from the school, and the other half is from all these other Pac-12 network and all yeah. Other stuff, yeah so at every other level winning really does kind of go back to the coach right because you know if a kid goes through his high school career 
and is on a really successful team, like he doesn't get career wins. Like he didn't go through his high school career and he went a hundred, you know, he won a hundred games and lost twenty. Mm-hmm. The coach did. Mm-hmm. The coach gets that. Mm-hmm. The kid gets an experience. And yeah, he, again, everyone wants to win, and winning is more fun. But when you are putting the focus on winning as the end all be all or or developing players if your version of developing players is to teach them how to win at that level i think there's just a huge group of kids who are getting left behind but i also think when you do it the way you're talking the way you do it the way you you develop kids to be the best version of themselves now you've created a bunch of kids that are going to go to war for you and they're going to be willing to go there, out there and There's no games. question that... So I think it works in reverse yeah, order much better I, there's than There's no question direction. that there's a huge piece to that. Um, you know, if you're always the negative guy, if you're always yelling, if you're always criticizing, at some point it just becomes noise. Mm-hmm. It's just this background that you, you ignore after a while. It's like the story I told about Andy telling me that I sucked. It only worked because I loved him, and I knew that he loved me. Mm-hmm. If he was just some asshole, I just I would have never listened. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with players. When players know that you care, and you tell them, "Hey, man, you are severely deficient in these areas," or like, "I don't know what you're you, you're doing all of a sudden because you stopped working hard," it it carries so much more weight because you're not always doing that. Right. And so, and that was a lesson that I had to learn that being the the taskmaster who just gave orders, I didn't have that. I was just the guy who yelled and and told you what to do. And when I figured out that being invested in them um, was a way easier way to get what I wanted out of them, you know. And so, I think. If I had to describe myself as any particular type of coach, I would say a, a relationship coach. Like I, I, I joke all the time. Like I don't even think I coach baseball anymore. I coach everything else. Like baseballs is like ten percent of what I'm trying to, to coach. It seems most of the time. Um, but I think when you can establish the relationships, guys will listen. They will do more. Now that's kind of like, you know, when we were recruiting a guy, we're pretty honest. Like from September to the end of the semester, into December, that is your time to do whatever it is you feel you need to do to make your career what you want it to be. But in January, we need to kind of have a little bit of a transition and now you're going to hopefully take those new skills that you've developed and help us build a good team, right? And so <clears throat> not that the, the player development stops, but there is a bit of a transition where you are like there's a scoreboard now, right? And you want to be on the right side of it. But at the same time, you're not taking away from them in an effort to win on the scoreboard but they are going and part of it is too they are going to be evaluated by their results and that's never going to change it's like if you're the greatest kid in the world and you work super hard but you suck 
No one cares. You yep. just suck. That's yep. all I know. That's right. <laughs> so, and if you lose, then if you lose too much, yeah, it's, you're, you're not, not winning. You're not a good player. You're not a good player at that point. Yeah. So, they they need to perform for their own sake, as much as you know, for Sac City's sake. And let's you know, I think that we're we try to be really transparent, and we have. We have difficult conversations and we have honest conversations and, you know, like with the training that our guys do, like, you know, we, before we start weighted ball stuff and velocity stuff, like, look, here's the deal. And I, I'm pretty clear usually, this is why we're going to do this. You need it. You need to throw harder. You want to go pitch at this level, 85 is not going to do it. So you need to throw harder. But... <laughs> really important that you understand <laughs> I will never select a pitcher to go in a game based on how hard he throws so if you go from 85 to 92 and you're no good still you're still not matter. pitcher right still doesn't matter you're, you're not going to be uh, someone we can count on I remember we had uh, Casey Weathers told her we uh, I had him come out and kind of talk about his experience with weighted balls and the first thing out of Casey's mouth, and I was so glad he said this, he's like, nothing that you're going to do with a weighted ball has anything to do with pitching or getting a hitter up. It has everything to do with you learning how to throw a ball better. It has nothing to do with pitching. And I was so grateful for him saying that. Cause that's always what you worry about. It's like, oh, I, th I feel so much, so much harder now. You're not any better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So yeah, we're all in on all that stuff, but there's you still have to be good. There's still an end result. It still has to make sense, and it's got to make sense for everybody. Yeah. Which probably results in success for the kids, which means that their numbers are good, which probably means you guys are winning. Yeah. Which is then good for you. So it's this kind of family that's feeding each other. Everybody's. And I think you know, I think with a lot of those, uh, when you're talking about the assessment. Like when you're looking at a, a player, okay, where is he deficient? If it's just velocity, that's easy. Like that, no problem. We can handle that. But if it's something else, you know, I, I, obviously we all know that throwing the ball over the plate is hugely important. No doubt about it. If you can't do that skill, then throwing it harder isn't going to help with that skill. It just means that when you hit the guy, it's going to hurt more. <laughs> you know, it's going to clang harder off the backstop. But you're not. And so and the reason I bring that up is like, you have to be very careful. And again, the conversation has to be honest. Like, yeah, I, I get that you want to throw harder, but that's not where you're lacking. It's these other areas that you're not any good. Why don't we attack those areas and then maybe we can address this velocity piece over here. But if you don't clean this other stuff up, throwing harder is not going to help you. You're just going to be bad throwing harder. Yeah. And again, it's, uh, I think there's, and that doesn't mean like you just completely shut the kid out and like, hey, you can't do that. I think uh, I've had this conversation with other coaches. It's like, you know, how do you manage getting guys out and actual pitching with guys wanting to try to throw hard. And I said, well, you, you just got to be flexible. There's got to be a compromise. 
it can't just be I don't care about you throwing harder because that's shitty. That's you're telling that kid I don't care if you have a chance to get drafted, right? And on his side, he has to understand that if he's going to help his team, he's got to get the ball over the plate. He has to throw strikes, like he has to do something. And so, again, it's just a conversation of look. I understand that you want to do this. I need you to do this. Let's see if we can kind of meet in the middle. And so what we've done with our guys is they throw off the mound, they throw their bullpens, and it's like, okay, you got 10 pitches to do whatever it is you want. Or maybe it's 10 at the beginning or, you know, whatever, or 10 on each end. Um, and, you know, a lot of times, like, I just want to throw 10 fastballs as hard as I possibly can. Awesome. Let's do it. You know, and there'll be times in the game, like, I'll yell from the dugout where I think, you know, it's a situation that's in our favor, and I will literally yell out there, why don't you just see how hard you can throw this one? <laughs> like, go for a PR. And I'll yell PR here. Let's just, you know, let's just see. Because, I, again, it goes back to what you said, like, they need to know that you're in their corner. Mm-hmm. They need to know that you care about the things that they care about. And that connection is everything when it comes to, to managing people. And that's really all it is. It just mm-hmm. happens to be it's baseball. It's not a company. Right. And so when you can, can make that connection and, and they understand that you do want the same things that they want, um, then you get so much more buy-in. The relationship is so much better. Uh, when you are critical, um, they will actually listen. And, um, and they might get mad, you know, and it's one of the conversations that we have every year is like, look, if I come to you and I say, hey, look, I think you're really, really good. Like, what do you think about that? And like, yeah, they get excited. You believe me? Yeah, I do. What are you going to do when I come to you and I tell you that I think you suck now? Will you still believe me? Uh, what do you mean? Like, well, you don't get it both ways. <laughs> <laughs> if I tell you you're good and you go, oh, that's awesome, thanks, I appreciate it. When I tell you you suck, you have to believe that too. Because I'm not going to tell you just to tell you. You know, it, it has to be both of those. Yeah, if sure. you're going to trust me, you have to trust me when I'm, like, being not completely you honest. Yeah. Because I'm sure there's plenty of people who will tell you how great you are. I'm just mm-hmm. not always going to be that person. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they got to, you know, the tough love. It's a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's probably, well, I think it's easier to give that, too, if you, well, if you understand what their real goals are and, and, yeah. and you have that relationship, you have a better understanding of how to give that feedback, that, they, yeah. that they're going to receive it and that it's appropriate. And well, we ask every fall, like, you know, there, you know, what is your goal for the fall? What is your goal for the season? What is your goal for the, your career here? What is your goal after this? And I print it up and I laminate it and I keep it with me. And like, hey, remember that time you said you wanted to go pitch at this school? Do you think you're doing the things you need to do right now? Like, this is what you said. Like, I got it right here. here it's yep. right here. Are you on track for that right now? And it's like, no, okay. And you just you snap them right back mm-hmm. and and you, you're able to hold them accountable because you yeah. know what they said. You have it right in front of you. And so, you know, I think that's just another way to connect with them too. You know, you're, again, I'm trying to help you achieve whatever it is that you have that you wrote down. So you got to kind of help me out here and right. do, it, do your part 
to make this happen too. Yeah. When you talk about buying from them, they see that your goal now is their goal, right? Yeah, completely. You don't probably have a lot of laminated pieces of things with you. So I don't bring very many. Right. No. So if that's the one, right, <laughs> like their goal is now your goal. Yeah. No question. Yeah. That's pretty good. No, the bottom has been great, man. It's yeah. good to. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I got plenty out of it. I know. We needed another one for that talk, though. We needed yeah. a, we needed Definitely. We'll, we'll have to renew and do it do it again sometime for sure. Postseason. Yeah. So, round two. For sure. Hopefully, you guys get uh, get yeah, some games in this season. year and get this yeah. down. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's the, the hard part and the sad part, really, is like we are so good. <laughs> we have so many really good players. And, you know, we're going to play this shortened season, which. I mean, I, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to. It. I don't, you know, I don't know when it's going to start, unfortunately. Um, but the last two years, we've had very, very special groups, um, and not just because they're good players; they're like phenomenal people. Um, and you know, that's always at the end of the season. That's always the hardest part is. It, when the season ends, I'm not ever, I'm not anymore. Again, this wasn't used, wasn't this way before. I'm not sad that we didn't win. I'm sad that as a team, that's it. Like our that group doesn't get to be together anymore. Uh, I'm yeah. sad for them because they are so invested, and they didn't get what they wanted as a team, and so. And for the last two years, that's the final four. <clears throat> I've never, I've been lucky that we've, I've been a part of a few final four teams. But other than winning it in 99, I've never felt so satisfied about two seasons um, just because of the relationships, because of how guys bought in, um, because they did it for each other. Um, and like, Physically, they, and 18 and 19, they probably like hugely overachieved mm -hmm. um, because they did it the right way, and they were good people. Uh, last year, we had good people who are also phenomenally talented, and you know, we got a, got our season crushed after 20 games. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's been a tough times for sure. But aside from that, I think there's some other. Uh, just phenomenal things in that in that talk to pick up from a from a coaching or just personal development relationship standpoint that I hope carries on on for, for many people listening. But obviously we've been in the baseball world for a long time and and seen a lot of stuff, so it, it begs this section of our uh, for a podcast here of like what the fuck are we doing with uh, with certain things? And I'm sure you've seen oh, some, man. you've seen some stuff in your day that <laughs> makes you look back and be like, what are we doing then? And what are we still doing now? There's just you know. I go through streaks or I go through phases <laughs> where certain things bother me way more than other things. And so I kind of got two bugs up my ass right now. <laughs> right. One of those, and this has been like the last seven to ten days. We're just right. on it right it's, now. <laughs> it's not a fresh topic. It's just fresh in my mind. Uh, the 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 coaches who feel like if they didn't do it as a player, no one else should either. Mm -hmm. like, oh, I didn't lift weights. Okay. 
I never long tossed. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So no one else should either. Right. Are you Cy Young? Because you think, think about it, and I was, again, I've been thinking about this a lot. Not just for this, just in general. This is how I spend my day now because I, I don't leave my house. <laughs> think it, so I'm going to be 50 at the end of the year. So 30 years ago, I was a JC player. When I was a JC player, my coach was 40. I know that because we're still friends. So that means that when he was 20, right, which would have been 70, 71, when mm-hmm. he was playing, right, he got coached a certain way, right? So that guy got coached a certain way in the 40s or 50s. Mm-hmm. So if we don't ever progress <laughs> at, at any point along the way, we're still doing shit from the 50s. Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> like True if you work that. backwards <laughs> and you start connecting dots, that's, that's yeah. what happens. Like, right. Right, we're not going to change anything. We're just going to do the same shit that, that Sandy Koufax did. Yep. <laughs> like, what are, we, what are we doing? Yeah. There's books. There's a, the internet is phenomenal. It's got <laughs> stuff all over it. Information readily available. Yeah. And I really, I, I, I'm reading this book, uh, again, of Adam Grant. It's called Think Again, and it's basically about looking at your perceptions and the things that you feel, your beliefs and your values, and taking a step back and going, okay, do I, do I is this shit really true? <laughs> I know I think it is, yeah. but do I really think it's true? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of like triggered me on this whole thing, and there's this whole group of coaches on Twitter, and that's all they talk about, like... I never did that, and I did this. I never did it, and I did this. It's like, who gives a shit? (laughs) (laughs) No one cares. There's so much information. There's so many different ways to train. Like, okay, so, again, I just want to talk to one of them. Like, so, what if your doctor said, that MRI thing, (laughs) we're not using that. I can just tell. I can tell your elbows hurt. I can feel it. We don't need that MRI thing. I didn't have an MRI when I was in your shoes, so. Like, do you want a doctor doing the same shit that he did in 1980? Or do you, like, hey, there's all these new surgeries and techniques, and we don't have to cut you open. We can use a little camera that goes in there, and we can actually see, like, what other areas in your life do you go, well, I didn't do it that way. I'm just doing the same (laughs) shit I did in 1970. Like, what other... Like, do you have a cell phone? You're obviously on Twitter, so you're doing, you're like, you're somewhat up to date. But, it, it, and here's, here's and I, again, I've had this conversation so many times. It's when something we feel very strongly about, like baseball, and we have this huge connection to it, and we have this huge ingrained belief system about it, and then these young whippersnappers come in and completely destroy it all, it like rips at your soul. Yeah. yeah. Like it really does. It takes away a piece of your identity if, if you feel like you're inflexible. And it's as much fear driven as anything. I went through it, you know, when all these young guys, all the driveline guys like saying all this, you know, science-y stuff and they sounded super smart and you know, my whole thing is like, oh, those guys don't know shit. They can't do anything. They're just, they're just young. And like, then I started to listen and pay attention. Like, these guys are really smart. Like, this might be okay. This might work. And also, they've seriously challenged. Every, they like, challenge all the norms, all good the or paradigms. bad. Like them or, like yeah. or don't like them. Yeah. You know, they have changed the way that 
baseball players are developed. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to like it, but they have at every level from, you know, little kids to big leaguers. Yep. Uh, so that was my other one. Uh, that was one. The uh, <coughs> I never did it, so no one else should. Um, <laughs> oh, the which is so great. I mean, that just speaks to, like what you what you talked about in the beginning, though, too, about how there's certain like guys guys progress with with different things for based on what they need, right? Yeah. And so if you did something for yourself that was great, maybe that and you did do really well with it, maybe that was what you needed, and that's yeah. great. That doesn't mean it's what those other fifteen guys need. Right. They all might need five different things, you know. And the the hard the what I've noticed is that it's. A lot of ex-professional players sure. who are the worst. The guys that were sure. more successful. Yeah. yeah. And it's like and, and potentially genetic freaks even. Which yeah. Makes you, it even yeah. Worse. You had an advantage somewhere in there. Yeah. Like I'm, you know, yeah, I'm dealing sure. with, <laughs> you know, the six hitter from the local high school. It's a little bit different. You know, we, we got to do some things differently. You yeah. know, to get him to that point. Um, I think my other, and this one just never goes away, but the the velocity doesn't matter, guys. What where what game are you playing where throwing harder doesn't matter? Like are you, you have two kids, you can draft one of the two. One throws ninety, and the other one throws eighty. Who are you picking? Yeah, if that's all your information, that's a clear choice. <laughs> that's easy, right? <laughs> Even if you have information, like well, this guy throws seventy-five percent strikes, this guy throws seventy percent strikes, and you're still taking the guy who throws fewer strikes at ninety every time. Right, and it's all—it's always the same conversation. Oh, you just got to command it and sink it and locate it. Like, okay, I'm in with that. Tell me how you teach it, and then the conversation just ends because yeah. no one can. Right. Yeah. Not yeah. only can no one teach command, I don't think anyone can define it. I was part of the so when the world shut down in, in the spring, I was lucky enough to be part of this weekly Zoom call with some of the like I don't even know why I was part of this. I was the dumbest person of the 12 you have like guys with big league jobs guys at the highest level of college baseball like and i just got sucked in somehow but we had a whole call one day about command like what is it none of us can really define it none of us really knew how to measure it but yet we talk about it like it's the gold standard and yeah, it's obviously, I and mean, we kind of have an idea of what it should sort of be, but to truly command the ball is such a physically demanding skill and mentally demanding skill. Like, we talk about it all the time, but no one knows what it is. Yeah, like, it probably means something different for different guys, right? Like for the sure. way their stuff plays, like if command could still be not throwing a strike. No, no question. So you look at, okay, uh, we're going to use strike percentage as, as the gauge. Okay, well, here's their strike zone, and you put the glove there, and, you know, pitcher A misses by 3 inches, that's a ball. Pitcher B misses by 17 inches to the other corner, that's a strike. Right, exactly. Okay, so who has one guy just threw a ball, one guy just threw a strike, who right. has better command? Right. Obviously the guy who threw the ball. Right. has better command, he missed by 3 inches. Right, so strike rate doesn't work. So that one's not very good. Mm-hmm. Um you know, there's just, it's such a, I mean, I think you're better off just looking at how many guys people walk, and that's maybe your best way of measuring it. Mm-hmm. But to think that all you have to do is teach someone to have command, like, 
And then, of course, it's always, well, look at Kyle Hendricks, look at Greg Maddox. Like, yeah. Two. Yeah, count them up. <laughs> In the last 30 years. <laughs> Two. Uh-huh. Out of... However many big league pitchers there have been, you, you came up with two outside of, like, you know, the specialist left-hander, you know, submarine guy. You've got – there's two. One of them's a Hall of Famer, and, again, we talk about physical freak. He was a physical freak in a different way. Just a completely different way. Yeah. Like, he was doing stuff for the ball that, like, like there's this guy named Barton Smith at Utah State as a mechanical engineer. Like, he can explain why now, why Greg Maddox could throw that fastball that moved as much as he did. It's this whole other deal that – um, but no one else had to do that. Like, no one had that skill like he did. Um, but, you know, if there was a, like, a real teachable method that was measurable for improving command, every major league team would be in line to hire you. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't exist. Right. We can, you, you give me a 17-year-old high school junior and give me nine months and a weight room and you know some weighted balls we'll find velocity for sure mm-hmm. no question about it it's just it's an easier skill to develop and one you can measure put the radar gun up there mm-hmm. pretty yeah. easy yeah yeah i think if you look at that i mean i'm thinking about it from a human physiology standpoint at the end of the day what makes a what makes a guy successful on the hill is certainly velos up there but at the end of the day it's because he makes guys miss, so you're you're trying to basically trying to trick the guy at the plate or distort his sensory information so that he can't make rapid, fast yeah. decisions, right? So if you throw it harder, you decrease the amount of time he has to make a reaction. So that's every good. pitch gets better. That's yeah, the thing. Right. Yeah. You think okay, so the kid's throwing 90 miles an hour, and the curveball is 75, and the changeup is 80, and he gains five miles an hour. Well, the other pitches. Everything ticks up, yeah. Go with them. Mm-hmm. And now that incredibly small window just got smaller. You know, and I, I've yet to run across a hitter who's just dying to see 100. Yeah, <laughs> <Right>. yeah, <laughs> yeah. less reaction time. Maybe they hide the ball a little better. Maybe they have an awkward motion. Anything they can to throw off that. Right. Yeah, um, I mean, there's just, that I sense. think the guys who are the, are the, again, this is where, like, technology can help because you can now see. The rap soda will tell you how high uh, the, the hand is off the ground when the ball leaves it, how far away from your head it is mm-hmm. um, when it leaves it. So now you can look at that and go, okay, well, you're at you know, 5.5 feet off the ground on your fastball, but your curveball is 5 feet. Okay, well, that's an issue. That's yeah, noticeable. That's something somebody can pick up. Right. right. That's, that's a big enough difference. Mm-hmm. That's, again, it's, it's that's six inches. So now we can go, okay, well, <clears throat> that's, that's not going to work. And even if it's a s- smaller difference, a good hitter sees it. He can't verbalize it. Like he right, can't right. tell you yeah, why he, he sees it. Though, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> but elite hitters, we all assume that they have this amazing reaction time. They don't. They have good reaction time outside of their environment. You put them in their environment, and now their brain is completely different, and they see things completely different than everybody else, except for that small group who are just like them. That's why, like, if you took the best major league hitter <coughs> and put him against the best 
underhand softball pitcher. Yes. He has no chance. He's destroyed. He yeah. has no. Jenny Finch used yeah. to throw. She could go to spring training. Yeah, she yeah. would do that. She'd go down there and throw to like Barry Bonds and Alex Rodriguez, and they'd swing and miss. They That's have no basis. It's another Arizona alum. And it's amazing how they keep coming. I didn't know this was a Wildcat podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. I didn't bring it up. I didn't bring it up. I didn't bring it up. That's not Evan. No, super cool. Well, it's good to have you, man. Good to hear the, uh, I mean, the, the success and the, everything sex that you had over the years, and, and I know you've been a huge part of it. And it, it is hopefully we get to see some more games this year of the, of the team you guys have, because I think over the last several years it's gotten even better, which is so cool. So yeah, it's been a. I mean, the last few years have been a lot of fun. Um, you know, we had a kind of a dark spot there for a while, and um, you know, it was one of those things where we. We kind of lost sight of who, as coaches, we lost sight of who we were and what we wanted um, from the program, and you know it was it was painful, and there was a lot of among the coaches difficult conversations, and it was like, hey, this is our fault, this is not the players, this, and we fell into the trap of trying to win all the time yeah. and not investing in people, and we played the wrong people for the wrong reasons and it bit us in the ass and I remember the conversation that the following fall is going no matter what happens <coughs> we're going to put guys on the field <coughs> that we know will represent what we want and that's just <coughs> that's kind of been the thing ever since and eventually you start getting better players who are those type of people and right. then you you have what we have right now. Absolutely. It's been really cool. Well, and now that I know that you can recruit and develop orthopedic surgeons and physical therapists at the yeah. rate that you do, I'm yeah, extremely interested in the program. And Put you on retainer. Yeah, yeah <laughs> we can find some other things. If uh, if you guys don't play very much, I can find some stuff for you on our end. So. I've been on your table so many times, I can probably get in there and actually work on some people yeah. if you really need it. That's pinch. true. Yeah, that's you true. do have a couple <laughs> levels of certification for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Super good. Well, thanks, Bauer. Oh, have man, you. this was fun. Anytime. Thank you guys for watching KimeCast. This was KimeCast, and we are the Kime Human Performance Institute. Thank you very much for listening. We'd love to continue the conversation with you. Please hop on our social media. It's at KimeHPI and engage with us there. If you'd like us to feature a topic or answer any questions live on the show, post your comments there. You can also check us out on our website at kindperformance.com, and there you can see links to content that we've posted throughout our podcast for more information.